All right, if you would, go ahead and find chapter 26 again in the confession. And if you want to keep um, 2 Corinthians 8 open, I will make a couple references to it. Uh, But we're primarily going to be looking at the confession paragraphs today. And I want to take both of these paragraphs together because the last two paragraphs of this chapter uh, deal with the same principle. And it is dealing with the principle of the relationship between local churches or other churches. Uh, These paragraphs actually deal and use the term communion. Uh, Now oftentimes, sometimes when we're talking about the Lord's Supper that we take in a church and we remember our Lord's death, uh, we call it communion because the word communion uh, means fellowship. It means to have an association with. Uh, So they're using the term communion in a way of holding communion with other churches. Now, this communion may not always be in physical presence, uh, but it can also be in the presence of the Spirit, Uh, much like we prayed this morning for a church that many of us, probably none of us, know anything about. But that is the part of the communion. And so when we look at these paragraphs, we're going to examine this and look at them under the heading of simply uh, the holding of communion between local churches. Uh, Paragraph 14, you'll notice, says, As each church and all the members of it are bound to pray continually for the good and prosperity of all the churches of Christ in all places and upon all occasions to further everyone within the bounds of their places and callings, in the exercise of their gifts and graces, So the churches, when planted by the providence of God, so as they may enjoy opportunity and advantage for it, ought to hold communion among themselves for their peace, increase of love, and mutual edification. So you'll see that each church really has this obligation and is bound to pray for other churches, to consider those other works and to pray for their good and to pray for their prosperity, to pray for their strength, and in certain situations, even as we read in 2 Corinthians 8, to actually give and to support other churches. Uh, That reading in 2 Corinthians 8 makes great mention about how the people were willing to give unto the other churches, not because they were in great, uh, they had a lot of riches to spare. They gave out of their own poverty to, to help another church, to encourage that ministry. Uh, and again, um, these are important aspects. It, it says not only do we pray for the good and prosperity, but it says in all places. Um, this may sound like a silly statement, but the world is a very large place. And we are very, very tempted to get boxed into our world, which is in front of us. And we're very tempted to only see what is right in front of us. And it's hard for us to consider that there are thousands upon thousands of faithful gospel works, uh, not only in this country, but all over the world. Uh, Various sizes and various congregations, churches in every nation and every corner of the world. There are churches that people don't even know about uh, because they're what's referred to as underground churches, but they are churches. And so we have an obligation um, to pray for those churches. Really, the premise of 2 Corinthians 8 really has to do with the communion or the fellowship of other churches. Now, Paul was dealing with a collecting of funds and and to help, uh, but 
you notice that the word grace kept being used. He kept using the words, this grace, that you're doing this out of the grace in which you've received. It's, it's abounding in grace. Okay, and, it, and he says, I want you to be diligent in this grace also. I want you to abound in diligently uh, thinking and praying and considering. Uh, so we are to pray continually in all places and upon all occasions. Um, I mentioned to you a specific occasion about a church, but really we ought to be praying for these churches in all occasions, um, not just when a church finds itself in trouble. Um, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that there were people who, and still to this day, are praying specifically for this church. Uh, They have promised me uh, that I will pray, our church will pray for your church every single day. And I believe they're doing it. And I believe that it matters. Uh, There have been other churches who have given directly to this ministry, not just monetarily, but they've done that as well for the furtherance of the gospel so that we as a church here in Springfield and surrounding areas can continue to do what God has called us to do. Uh, We have been incredibly helped uh, by other churches. People that took this seriously and said, look, we're, we're going to give to you. Uh, a number of years ago, we reached out to a local church that was in, in deep poverty near us, and we gave to that church. We took a collection up, and we gave to that church to try to help them. So this is a part of our responsibility. And so we are to uh, pray upon all occasions uh, to further everyone within the bounds of their places and callings. In other words, uh, we're helping them where God has providentially placed that church. Um, and then also to exercise their gifts and their graces. You know, one of the beauties of the local church is the fact that uh, churches all have different varying gifts. Now, there are some churches that are extremely gifted in certain areas of ministry. Uh, there, are, there are the exercise of those. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, so he, it goes on and says, So the churches, when planted by the providence, God, providence of God, so as they may enjoy opportunity and advantage for it. Right? So there's these specific churches that we are to be praying for as they've been planted by the providence of God. And it ends that paragraph by saying, ought to hold communion among themselves for their peace, increase of love, and mutual edification. Now you'll notice that there are, there's four verses that are footnoted there. Each one of them have something to say about that, those particular expressions. But I do want to draw your attention to Romans 16 for a moment. This entirety of this last chapter of Romans is really Paul as he wraps up the book of Romans. And I think when, I, when we preached through the book of Romans, I made this statement at the end of that series. We had spent a long time in the book of Romans. And when you get to Romans 16, it doesn't really have a lot of deep doctrinal theological truths, but it has a lot of information about greeting other churches and greeting other saints. If God put it in his word, the inspired word of God, then we ought to pay attention to it. Romans 16 is just as important as Romans 1. It's just as important as Romans 8 and Romans 9. It's in God's word. And so you'll notice that Paul, as he's writing here, we'll just read the first few verses. It says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, 
which is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria, that ye receive her in the Lord as become of saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succourer of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the churches, the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epaphroditus, who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Paul goes on and he uses the word greet or salute a number of different times, talking about greeting other churches and saluting other believers. So we see that this is a specific instruction that is given. So what does it mean to pray continually for the good and the prosperity of all the churches of Christ? Why are we told to do that? Because we are one in Christ, even though we may never worship as one in the same building. We're still one in Christ. We're still part of the same bodies, part of the same universal church. We are saved by the same grace that they are. And now, within any body of believers, you are going to have differences. Um, you, you are not going to be able to go to churches and find a church that every church is doing exactly the same things exactly the same way. Um, churches are different. Uh, even in the way that they're ordered, in the way that their services go, in the way that they worship. And those differences have often been used as points of the breaking of fellowship. And we're going to say, well, I'm not going to hold communion with you because your church does this. Now, we're not talking about heresy, folks. We're not talking about compromise. But we are so territorial that sometimes we think we have the perfect handle on what church is supposed to be. And if you're not following our leading, then you're wrong. We really need to be very careful about that. Be very careful about how we view other churches who just do things differently. Now, heresy is a whole different thing. But those who are heretical are not churches at all. So the confession writers didn't have in mind the churches and the synagogues of Satan. No, they had churches who were doctrinally sound, those who were uh, preaching the true gospel. So what do we do? We seek the good and the prosperity of that church and that the message of the gospel would go forth from their location, from their place. It's an amazing privilege for us today to be able to pray for the gospel to go forth from a church like we prayed for this morning. It's an amazing thing to pray for an underground church in China. It's an amazing thing to be able to pray for a church in places where we can't even mention their names because of the threat of what would happen to them. Those are privileges that we have. Uh, we pray for the opportunity for the growth and the spread of the gospel there. Uh, if they are a true church, they've been planted by the providence of God. Uh, and that they would be able to hold communion among themselves as you and I are able to freely do as well. I can guarantee you, if you ever go to any sort of a church conference, and again, I would uh, say that very uh, carefully, um, but if you go to a church conference, I will guarantee you, you will find a many, many like-minded brothers and sisters who you're going to have disagreements with. 
I'm going, to, I'm going to guarantee you, you're going to have disagreements with. They're going to tell you, here's what our church does, here's what, and we're going to say, what do you mean you do that? I, should our church be at this fellowship or not? I don't. That's how petty we can be. But if they are proclaiming the counsel of God and they are proclaiming the gospel, we better be careful about what we label as who we should not hold communion with. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Um, we think about that in our churches and we think about how we, maybe we shouldn't fellowship with them. But all of us, I can guarantee you, you've been influenced and maybe you're being influenced right now. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be. You might be influenced by a pastor or a teacher who goes to a church who you would not agree with everything that church does. I'll guarantee you that's the case. But you would say that man is a great preacher. That man is an excellent teacher. And he probably is. But if you were to look at his church, you would find some things you would disagree with. That's the point of what's happening here. This communion is not based upon a perfect clone of what your church is. And so this communion that the confession writers had in mind uh, was certainly um, at the forefront of what they were talking about. I mentioned this before, but we should never believe that we are the only true Christians. Um, and I would also warn us that even as Reformed Baptists, do not believe that the Reformed Baptists are the only true Christians. Please do not take that approach. Please don't take the approach that that's the only true ones and that that's what heaven is going to be. Uh, there are many, many denominations of Baptists specifically who are going to be in glory with you. There'll be some who had some opposite opinions and differences on some things you thought, well, I thought that difference would keep, us from, keep them from being in heaven. You're going to be surprised. And we've got to be careful that we're not an island to ourselves. We've got to be careful that we don't think uh, we are it. We should acknowledge those other churches of Christ, of course, even though we might disagree on issues that do not create a heretical situation. Um, we're we're going to differ on even church order. Right? Uh, but there's not a difference on the gospel. Uh, we are brothers and sisters, and we should pray for one another. Um, it, it, became, it has become and continues to be very popular to be um, an extreme separatist and to uh, basically put ourselves out on that island and say, uh, we are so holy, so righteous, and so have it so right that we'll, we'll be out here while you other churches kind of get it all wrong. So, we need to be careful about those things as well. We should care about and pray for all the true churches of Christ uh, that they would certainly have the blessing of God upon them as they preach the pure, uh, sound word of God. Now, there are a number of Paul's letters, and we're not going to cover, I'm going to give you some references this morning, uh, but there are a number of instances where Paul's letters that were written, written were sending greetings from one church to another. Of course, we read from Romans 16, but there's also references in Ephesians 6 and also Romans 1 uh, where Paul is encouraging the prayer of one another or prayer for one another, praying for other churches. Uh, financial support we saw in 2 Corinthians 8, but also Romans 15 uh, verses 25 and 26, uh, Paul is making mention of what was done in 2 Corinthians 8. He said, But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. There's even financial support there. 
So there is this principle that we are not an island in and of ourselves. Now, we do need to keep in mind what the Bible tells us in 2 John verses 10 and 11. Remember what that says. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. John had very specific, uh, uh, specific, uh, specific people in mind. Uh, this is not just people who difference in their order of service. Okay, this is not people who don't start their service with a call to worship, must be some kind of a heathen. Or that they don't sing exactly the same hymns that we sing. Or a church that only believes in singing the psalms. You realize there are Reformed Baptist churches that don't believe you should even have a hymn book. You should only sing the psalms. Now that wouldn't be an issue we would separate over. We wouldn't say that's a, that's a major issue. I think there's some, there's some actual some wisdom in that. You're always singing scripture, right? So it, it's, it's not about, so we don't look at that and say, well, you guys use a hymn book, so I'm not, I'm not going to wish you Godspeed. He was talking about heresy, those who, who had the spirit that was not of God. Uh, this, this is making sure that we test every spirit. We're sure that what we are uh, communing with is of God. Um, because there is such... Sadly, because there is such venom between churches, um, we're in a place and a time when the church, instead of coming more together, is becoming more and more fractured. Okay, so who should be the loudest voices that are being heard in our country right now based upon the things that are happening? Should it be Congress and the government or should it be the church? The church should be the loudest voice, taking the strongest stand on the issues of our day. What are those issues? Abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism. There are churches that won't even say it. They won't speak it because they are deathly afraid of what it might mean for their church. But we know where we stand on these things. These things are an abomination to God. And if an organization is afraid to take that stand, you have to question, where do you really stand? But churches are getting afraid now because we're afraid that somebody's coming after us. You realize the Bible is very clear about these, er these areas. If churches were not so fractured and were actually banded together to stand on the truth of the gospel, we wouldn't have so many churches compromising and going on an apology tour. Churches are apologizing for their stand. We're not going to apologize for a Bible stand. And wouldn't it be nice to have other churches who are standing with us? Now is a day when the churches need to be praying together, not looking at differences and saying, well, we can't worship with you because you only sing the Psalms, or we can't worship with you because you choose to do this, or you don't do things the same way we do it. Do you realize how much liberty and spiritual freedom we have in Christ to be able to look to the Word and each church gets to determine even how it's going to present itself before God? We're in a day and age when we should be praying for churches together that we stand in an uncompromised position on His Word and His authority. 
You know, it's one thing to say we stand for the Word of God. It's another thing to say not only do we stand for the Word of God, we stand for the authority of the Word, which means the Word has authority, which means God is not giving us these things to ponder and to consider. He says, no, this is what my Word says about these issues. And a church that waffles and wavers on what it believes about those issues is not standing on the authority of the Word of God. But yet outside on their sign, it says we stand for the Word of God. But do you stand for the authority of the Word? There's a big difference there. Is the Bible actually our authority? There are churches, and that's what's happening here, who are standing uncompromisingly on the Word of God. So we can partner and fellowship with people who might even have some views on things that we may deem wrong. Um, I know that we are very, very tempted um, as Reformed Baptists to look at anybody who gets, for example, gets the doctrine of election wrong. We're very quick to condemn and damn them all to hell. That's what we're tempted to do. We better be careful about that as well. Because there still is a belief and a faith and a trust in Christ alone. Again, be careful about what we're so quick to determine. That equals this. Right? Um, We might have a blind spot in our own selves. I'm I'm trying to be very careful. um, And sometimes I'm not as careful as I should be about being very dogmatic about something because it's possible in my fallibility that I can have a spiritual blind spot where I'm not as versed on a subject or a topic as I should be. I better be careful about that. We understand and we know that God is absolutely sovereign. We understand these doctrines. But you understand that some of the closest theological friends that Reformed Baptists have, for example, as far as how the Reformed theology goes, is Presbyterian. But we have a lot of differences with the Presbyterian denomination. Lots of differences. Some of your favorite Doctrines of Grace preachers are Presbyterians. Okay? They don't believe everything theologically that we believe. So be careful that we're not dogmatic about saying this is such and such. So the core teachings of the gospel, the core teachings of the gospel of Christ, remember there is still a unity of faith. Uh, we may never worship in some local congregations who we have these differences with, But those differences do not mean that we are completely condemning of them. Again, I know anytime you hear that, people say, well, that sounds like you're compromising. That's not compromise. That's an acknowledgement. Um, uh, Some of the foolishness that I've heard all my life, and some of you heard this, who've said that the only right denomination is the Baptist because John was called John the Baptist, so the Baptist denomination is the only right one. You think I'm kidding. That's their, that's their serious why we're Baptists is because John was Baptist. It's like, that's all you have? That's the only reason you're a Baptist? I'm Baptist by conviction. I'm not Baptist because John was Baptist. I'm Baptist because of the conviction, my personal conviction, that the Baptist denomination, as it holds to the word of God, is, in, is 
properly doing what it's supposed to be doing. But I'm not going to look at a Presbyterian brother or sister and say, well, you're going to hell because you're Presbyterian or you're this. And there are some, there are some, even we talked about even church government differences between a Presbyterian and a Baptist church, for example. I'm not going to tell them that because your pastors and elders must be classically trained in those seminaries, we can't have any fellowship with you. Well, that's a big difference. So these issues we have to be very careful with. It doesn't mean that we do not acknowledge one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, you'll notice that paragraph 15 naturally moves us into this. It says, in cases of difficulties or differences, either in point of doctrine or administration. Now, let me stop here and just tell you, when the confession writers amended the original Baptist Confession of Faith, the first London Baptist Confession of Faith was 1644. So between 1644 and 1689, there were amendments that were made. One of the big amendments had to do with baptism. Okay, it was, it was a stand against infant baptism, and that's why a lot of the copies of the confession you have have an appendix on them dealing with where we stand on baptism. When the confession writers wrote this, they were not writing this thinking someday the churches are going to have differences between each other. There were actual real differences happening. Remember, much of chapter 26 was not lifted from the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a standalone chapter that the Baptists looked at and said, these are the things that are going to mark a Baptist church. They added these paragraphs, not because there's something that might hypothetically happen, but there were differences that were happening between churches. Churches were disputing between one another. They were having issues in their church, and they needed places to go for counsel. This is what the basis of this paragraph is. So it says, in cases of difficulties or differences, either in point of doctrine or administration, wherein either of the churches in general are concerned, or any one church in their peace, union, edification, or any member or members of any church are injured in or by any proceeding in censures not agreeable to truth and order, it is according to the mind of Christ that many churches holding communion together do, by their messengers, meet to consider and give their advice in or about that matter in difference to be reported to all the churches concerned. Howbeit, these messengers assembled are not entrusted with any church power properly so called or with any jurisdiction over the churches themselves to exercise any censures either over any churches or persons or to impose their determination on the churches or officers. Very specific if a, if a difference arises in a church and you need counsel and you need assistance, it is perfectly proper to go to another church to seek counsel or to seek their advice. They're very careful in the confession to say, not as a means of authority over that church, but as a means of counsel and advice. In other words, if we had a difference, something was going on in this church, and I went to another church and I asked them to consider the matter, if they told me, here's what you must do, they don't have that kind of power or authority to censure the church or any members of that church. It's counsel and advice only. But it's perfectly proper to go and seek assistance. 
Again, there were many issues, especially in the UK and especially in London, where many of the confession writers, and that's, you'll see those names, they were pastors of local churches. And they were coming together and they wrote the confession. They amended those confessions. Those things were given because these were very real issues that were happening. One of the um, passages that they used, we're not going to read it all, and I realize the context here. Um, in Acts 15, there is a, um, an account given of a council um, at Jerusalem. And it deals with a dispute between uh, individuals, uh, between two familiar people, Paul and Barnabas had a division that Acts actually says it was no small dissension. It was no small disputation. But they determined, it says in verse 2, that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Venus and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Now you'll notice that this, there, this was contentious. Verse 5, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So you see the principles there. There was a dispute, no small dispute. There were those that rose up who were saying this must be, the circumcision must be part to keep the law of Moses. But you see the principles that are happening here. They came together to hear the matter. Not in a matter of declaring we have authority over you, but to hear the matter. If we have a difference between another church, for example, the proper way to handle it is not a social media post. Are you hearing me? This is what churches are doing to each other. Because we're not courageous enough to go and talk to people face to face anymore. So we just use our computers and our phones and we tell everybody everything we're thinking because we think our opinion's that valuable. And we're doing it left and right. We hear about a church that doesn't do it the way we do it, and we're tempted to pick up our phone and say, let me correct them. If we were really concerned about one another, if we were really concerned, we would go to that brother or go to that and say, look, let's, let's just talk about this. Because we're, we're in this for the gospel, right? This is what we're doing. And since we're not the only gospel-preaching church, even in Springfield, we're not the only one, maybe we ought to help one another Get the gospel clearly and as purely as we possibly can. See, the reality is, is there's a difference between every church in Springfield. 
Every one of them, even if they all line up with us doctrinally, they are different. Different as day is night. They do things differently. They think differently. The services will not be the same. But understanding that this reality, there's no jurisdiction. It's for advice and counsel and help. So if there arises a difficulty, for example, in our church where we can't resolve on our own, or we had trouble that brew is brewing between multiple churches, either maybe it might be a point of doctrine, maybe it's a point of administration, we can call for the help of one another instead of trying to destroy the other church that disagrees with us. Folks, this is why I'm in this hate relationship with social media right now. And I have gone up and down and up and down on this. And I continue to go up and down and up and down. And right now, I am in a pure hatred of it. Because I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing really the gospel going forth the way it should. Now again, we're glad we can live stream the gospel and that somebody maybe two doors down who wouldn't come into the church might be able to tune in. We're thankful somebody in a, in a church in an unknown part of the world might tune in. But understand something, that that's not where we air our differences. And that's not where we throw out, throw out a church and say, you're this, so you must be of the synagogue of Satan. This is kind of on my heart today. This is really a burden for me. It, it, it's, it's a situation of taking something that can be used for good and misusing it. Whatever happened to going and talking to people about our differences? What happened to face-to-face conversations in general? Just to discuss. Because we're concerned about the gospel. That's what we're concerned about it. We're concerned about that the name of God is not being misused and corrupted. So when we hold communion, and, and what the confession writers had in mind here, was that you bring people together, send those messengers, send those representatives to consider and give their advice about that matter. Now, the problem is, is we are so territorial that even now, if you've ever been to one of these fellowships like this, it becomes sadly very chaotic very quickly. Not all of them, but because people are so, we're so prideful that we have it right and that you have it wrong. They give advice. They give counsel. They're not entrusted with church power. They're not officers of that church. They don't have jurisdiction, but they're there to help. When there are troubles, when there's problems, when there's errors, whether it's theological or practical because they're in the church, the church, can, the church can seek counsel from someone else. Folks, when I, when I came to this church, I sought counsel from a lot of different places. I was 100% overwhelmed by what to even do when I got here. I, had, I really did not have a clue where to start. I sought counsel. I talked with other churches and other people who said, look, here's what this church is right now. What, what, do, what, what do you advise that I do? Some things I listened and I said, that's not what we need. Other things I listened, I said, that's exactly what we need. I still do it today. If there's, if there's counsel that I need, folks, th- this is too serious of a thing to just disregard it. 
So when a matter comes up in the church, I'm not sitting on an island by myself saying, I'm just going to figure this out by myself. No, I'm going to seek counsel from the people in our church. But I might even go outside of our church and find other like-minded brothers who say, look, here's what I'm dealing with. Can you help me? And I think you want me to do that. And I think you're going to want the other elders when we eventually see them here. You're going to want us doing that. You're going to want us going and getting counsel Understanding that whatever counsel we get isn't authoritative, it's just advice. So you notice the wording of the confession specifically speaks of advice and not a command. It's also the very last portion of the paragraph. The local church is autonomous. Paragraph 7 of chapter 26 tells us the local church is autonomous. We don't have a council over us. We don't have a denomination of, of, of us. We don't have a convention above us. Uh, we are church that is to be led by the elders within that church. Whether it's one or a plurality of elders, whatever that church finds its situation in, that's the final authority for that church. It re resides in that church. So a local church can seek the advice of other churches, but other churches cannot dictate what they should do. short rabbit trail I want to take you on. This is part of the problem about foreign mission work. Where every church decides what we want to do is we want to plant an American church in Taiwan. Or we want to plant an American church in Africa. We're going to give you the structure and as long as you follow our structure, we'll support you. But the minute you step out of line and don't give us that structure, you're on your own. It's one of the problems I have with mission boards. If you want more information on that, my, with that and my concern about that, I'll talk to you about that privately. You know what the real missions work should be done? You know how the real missions work is supposed to be done? Sent out by the authority of that local church, and that local church is supporting that. But I'm not trying to plant an American church in Africa. I'm trying to plant a biblical church. And there are things that those churches and those customs and those other places are doing that are not American. Somehow we decided that this is all about America. That we're to plant American churches. Yet America's not mentioned in this book anywhere, even in, even in hinting it. The point is there are churches all over the world that are not doing it the way we do it, and yet we would hold communion with them. We would be in fellowship with them. I came across this quote this week by... A.H. Strong, he said, since each local church is directly subject to Christ, there is no jurisdiction of one church over another, but all are on an equal footing and all are independent of interference or control by the civil power. Okay, so we noted here that even without throughout the New Testament, the elders belong to a particular church. Those elders have been entrusted by those congregations to lead that congregation. Uh, we don't have a... a um, Miami Valley region of elders that is over our church. There's not a board we go to and say, okay, what do we do next? Each church is autonomous. And there are, again, this is my, I'm going to tell you this, and I think scripturally, I think it backs this up. I'm not supposed to be an elder or pastor of multiple churches. I don't think that's the way God intended it to be. Now, there are times when a man maybe helps another ministry. 
But this is the congregation where God has placed me. This is where I'm supposed to be. And for as long as God allows me the privilege to do that. But understanding that that elder, that pastor, those elders only have jurisdiction in that local church. I have no authority over any other church in the state of Ohio, in this city, in this county, in this nation. I can't tell another church what to do about anything. I am not authority in those churches. And we get things messed up when we have somebody else in authority over a local church. Chapter 26, I came across this quote. I want to finish with this. And this is one of the resources I go to for these studies um, from Sam Waldron. He said, the strict limitation of such an assembly is that it is merely advisory. Counsel in the Bible is often not authoritative, even if it comes from an apostle. There are even times when Paul says, I don't tell you this by command. Hebrews 13, 17 equates the leaders of the church with governors given charge by a king over a province of his kingdom. Such governors may seek advice from one another, but they are legally responsible only to the king. So there's counsel, there's advice, there's communion. And I think it'll help us to remember Jesus when he told Peter, very familiar, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ultimately, as we've studied chapter 26, it's Christ's church. 100% Christ's church. It's not my church, it's not your church. And it, it does us well to remember that, because we get, we've all been in churches where someone says that they are the reason the church is still standing. The church here at Petrie Road is not standing because of any one of us. You're not holding up the foundation. You're not the foundation. You're not even really the pillars of it. It's Christ's church. He has the preeminence. So we'll conclude our study of chapter 26. And um, so we'll, um, for the sake of time this morning, let's go ahead and pray. If you have any questions, um, um, you can ask me here in between services. And if it's something that we need to cover um, next week, I'll bring that question up. So um, if you want to um, just do that today, come and see me. We'll ask questions privately this morning. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll go ahead and pray and be dismissed. Uh, normally we'd sing a closing hymn, but let's, let's just dismiss um, on that today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And we praise you for allowing us by your providential hand to belong and to be part of a church that desires to carry out the gospel and to carry out the commands of your word. And Lord, as it is fitting this morning, we do pray for churches all around this world. Churches that are like ours, that are standing for the truth. They're proclaiming and preaching the gospel of Christ. Lord, how we pray that you would continue to provide for their needs. Lord, that as the gospel goes forth from the town or the country or the place in which they are planted, that there would be many souls converted. There would be scores of people added to the churches. And that, Lord, that we would see a renewal between churches even in this country. 
Instead of trying to look for every reason in the world and to find every small thing to fracture upon, that Lord, we would certainly see that there are many that are standing for the true gospel of Christ. Father, help us to be edifying, not only to one another, but to be edifying to the churches around us. And Lord, even if there are differences, and we know that there will be differences, that we deal with people graciously. We don't deal with people as if we are the final authority. Lord, may our desire be the preeminence of Christ. Not our preeminence, not that our church would get attention, not that um, our elders or our members would receive any kind of applause, but that the help and advice that we either seek or we give is purely for Christ and for his gospel that must go forth. Father, we pray now that you'll bless this fellowship that we have together. And Lord, may we truly understand the privilege it is to have communion not only with one another in this place, but the communion we have with believers all over this globe. And we're thankful for that privilege. It's in Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. All right, thank you.